Now, it's about time I laid my cards on the table, and God forgive me, uh, like, Conrad isn't here this week, and in a way that might be for the best, because, to be honest, I'll float it by you first, Laura, and then we can see, like, get an idea of, of what his reaction might be uh, from that. Okay. So, as I say, cards all on the table. I've got a Mr. Chimney Pot. A Mr. Chimney Pot? A Mr. Chimney Pot is what I've got. It's a Mr. Chimney Pot, and that is the thing um, that I have. Okay. Okay, there sure are some words you've said, and yeah. I've, put, I've put them in the computer, and I'm looking at exactly what I would expect to see <laughs> when you describe a toy as Mr. Chimney Pot. Yeah, when you hear Mr. Chimney Pot, and then you look at Mr. Chimney Pot, uh, it's... I would wager, for anyone, it's not too far off. I mean, look, looking at this toy, I couldn't call this anything but Mr. Chimney Pot. Right? There's no other word for Mr. Chimney Pot than Mr. Chimney Pot. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Uh-huh. Mr. Chimney Pot. And I've got some questions uh, regarding my recent acquisition. I have questions too, yes. Yeah, I, 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 I can imagine. Mm. Uh, I had this as a kid. Now, yeah. bear in mind, I was born in the early 80s. Yeah. Just before, well, 1984. There yes. were still gollywogs around. Yeah, that's what I was g- gonna gonna say. Because this is a toy from apparently 1986. And we'll, we'll, we'll address, like, Mr. Chimney Pot first. Mr. Yes. Chimney Pot appears to be... Essentially a doll's house, but if it was a chimney, and on one side there's doors and windows, but on the other side it's just a face. Yeah. Because it's, it's Mr. Chimney Pot. Big red plastic chimney with, as you say, windows and door on the back and a face on the front. Yellow nose, yeah. a yeah. smile, and yeah. these lazily lidded eyes that you can, yeah. and the eyelids can be moved up and yeah. down so yeah. you can have eyes open. Eyes closed, yeah. or doing a little wink. Um, that's lovely, and it opens up. And inside there is plastic furniture, and there's like certain like segmented floors. Uh, you know, it's like you say, it's mm. a doll's house essentially. It opens up just like one, different rooms. Yeah. Um, lovely stickers for the furnishings. Now, the best thing about my Mister Chimney Pot is it's so hard to find a complete set <laughs> because the bits all go missing. Um, what a shame! Yeah, and aside from a bit of a broken uh, pipe at the top, because Mister Chimney Pot has his own chimneys, and yeah. one of the yeah. chimneys at the top seems uh, a bit cracked off, unfortunately. But the <sighs> contents, the interiors, and the shall we say occupants are fully bagged. They're all still sealed, so that's mm. a bit of excitement for me. Now, when oh. I showed Mr. Chimney Pot <laughs> off on stream the other day, yeah, one of the characters, one of the family members of, yeah. um, that live inside Mr. Chimney Pot. Um, <sighs> now, before we go any further, I'm going purely off memory, but I do believe the family's surname is Soot. Yeah, so I... I will I will give like a little bit of background very quickly. I'm looking at a picture of the box for this thing and it's two very happy white children just really giving their biggest biggest grins uh with a little bit of text that says the giant chimney that's a happy home for the soot family and their pets. There we are. And, I remember uh, that bit. 
yeah, the Soot family. And um, yeah, that that is a thing. That is a thing. Yeah. So when I showed this off, uh, you can look, there's also a, a big yellow teapot. My friend Mark uh, reminded me of that. Um, in wrestling, there's not many people who are my age. <laughs> I'm sort of an old creaking bitch. Um, but there is um, my friend Mark Adams, who does a lot of ring announcing and stuff. And he's one of the very few people in wrestling who actually gets my references. So for, for Christmas, I got him a Boglin. Um, he yeah. and I can talk long into the wee hours about TV shows like Nightmare. And he reminded me of the Big Yellow Teapot, which is sort of the um, uh, alternative product. Yeah. It's like a doll's house that's a teapot, but it's not... It's not anthropomorphized like Mr. Chimney Pot, so it's not quite as good. But anyway, I showed Mr. Chimney Pot off on stream. And when I showed a member of the Soot family, um, chat went quiet. Yeah. I. Uh, I. Look, people listening to Pulquisition, this is a toy from the 80s that had a family of people called the Soot family, and. I don't think you need to be a genius to connect the dot to dots as to what what might have occurred in 1986 that that when showed on stream today might look a little go hmm aha yeah so all of that is to say that is no squeaks and I <laughs> somehow forgot that until I was just looking it up right now. To see if there was, like, I don't know, an article about the Soot family and whether or yeah. not that was controversial. Um, but I've got it over here. I'm, I'm going to see if the nose still squeaks. Brilliant. So so that's, so that's been your week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else that's happened. Nope. That is the entirety of your week right there is Mr. Chimney Pot. I think that is easily the most uh, dramatic thing that has happened to me. I'm not having an anxiety attack about anything else at all. How's your week been, Laura? I mean, I've been I've been real busy. It's been a busy one. It's been one of those weeks where it's, it's like, hey, do you want some extra work to do? It's work that you don't want to say no to, but also it's all at once. Oof. Go. It's been, it's been one of those, like, these are all great opportunities. I don't want to say no to any of them, but, like, I do have to do, like, four things at once. Ugh. It's been a fun one. <laughs> sort of that really sort of about as positive as stress can get, where it's, like, yeah. you're super busy and stressed and under the hammer, but it is all very sort of positive it's, work it's, and stuff. It's stress that I opted into, and I keep just telling myself, like, I, want, I wanted this. I asked for this. It's been one of those. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, should we talk about some games we, we we've played recently? Why not? Why games? not? I um like I say, Conrad's not here, um, and I've got a potential that phone call I mentioned weeks ago that I left <laughs> yep. early for and was a month um too early for the appointment. It's a month later. So I should be getting that call at the time of recording. It should be about thirty minutes from now. But what I'll do is if we just keep recording and then I'll get a phone call when I get a phone call, and you know we'll we'll work it we'll work it out from there. We'll work it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk talking about video games we played this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in first because on yeah. the topic of 
things that you want to be excited about, but then you have to you have to talk about caveats with them. Oh no. I want to talk about Ragnarok, uh, spelled R-O-C-K, like rock music. Um, so this is a game that is part of the launch lineup for the PSVR 2, and I really enjoyed it right up until I remembered uh, the genre of music that's being discussed and the homework that has to be required, uh, required around that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Ragnarok is a VR drumming game. You have like four virtual drums in front of you and essentially like a cymbal to either side. And it's it's Guitar Hero in VR. You've got all the things flying at you. And when like the thing lines up with the drum, you hit the drum. Uh, and the gimmick is you're on like a Viking longboat and you're basically trying to do the drums so that the people on the boat uh, row faster so that you get further in the length of time that this, this one licensed piece of music uh, takes to complete. Uh, I will say I was surprised that all of the licensed music in it has been cleared for use on Twitch. Um, so despite having a licensed soundtrack, it is a music rhythm game you can play on Twitch and not get in trouble for, which is, like, a surprise. I did not account for that. As someone who plays the drums intermittently in my own life, I thought this game did a really good job of simulating the feeling of drumming and capturing, like, note tracks that felt natural and, uh... Just, just very intuitive for someone as a drummer. Like the best compliment I can give this game in that regard is, I felt comfortable pretty quickly turning the difficulty up fairly high, and was able to sight read and play pretty well at tracks, which is a good sign that you've made a drumming game that is like actual drumming and follows the sort of understood rules of how your hands have to move in physical space to hit things. Um, but. Let's talk about the aspect of it that's really unfortunate, which is this is a game with a soundtrack of largely metal uh, tracks, mm-hmm. specifically a lot of like Viking inspired metal. Right. And uh, also some like some pirate themed metal. Now, I will say this. Now, I've seen a lot of YouTubers come and go in my time. Yeah, yeah. And I tend to find that the ones that associate themselves very strongly. Uh, with a yeah. Norse aesthetic, yeah, tend to be on the level. Well, see, this is the thing. And I'm not I was being sarcastic at all. Look, I was excited that there was a drumming game, and I play drums, and I got excited, and I yeah. didn't stop initially to think about the thing that now seems very obvious, which is if we're talking metal as a genre, and very specifically metal that is stylistically aligned with a lot of Norse runic imagery. Maybe just do a Google of some band names. Um, there are three bands in this that are pretty fucking heinous, oh, no. uh, which is a real shame. Um, the 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 short version is there is a uh, there's a band called Glory Hammer that uh, a text chain leaked between the band members in which it it is very clear that they are violently misogynist and racist, like despicably fucking misogynist and racist. Okay. Uh, there is some overlap with band members in a band called Ailstorm who have racism controversies, and a band called Nano War of Steel that in their history have a bunch of like real fucking homophobic shit. Uh, which is a shame, because I was really fucking enjoying this game, and there's a lot of music in the soundtrack that is, from what I can tell from having done Google searches of band names plus insert bigotry to do the checks, 
There is a lot of music in here that is from bands that are perfectly fine. But having to give the caveat that there's three bands in here that are full of just like despicable fucking human beings makes this a thing I can't easily recommend anymore, which is a shame. Because, like, the way I was feeling about it right up until that moment was like, oh, I'm actually kind of excited there's no Beat Saber at PSVR 2 launch because it's gotten me to try this music rhythm game I probably wouldn't have given a look if not for the lack of the big music rhythm game for VR. And it's a shame because it's a damn fun game that is really let down by the fact that it just uncritically has some tracks from some bands with some real problematic shit around them. Yeah. And, you know, just for the record, just like, like, it really upsets me that, like, Norse yeah. mythology and all of that shit, like, has become so associated with right. that kind of shit. Because, like, I've mentioned this on podcasts before. I don't yeah. think I've talked about it here, but I know I've talked to um, Jonathan and Conrad about it on the various things we've all done together. But, um... I had this book as a kid, uh, an illustrated book about Norse mythology, and I I wish I could remember yeah. what it was called or looked like, or I, it might have been a Ladybird book, I don't know, but mm. I I carried it around with me a lot. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was around the time I had a Mr. Chimney part, actually. Um, <laughs> I remember spending a lot of time at my grandparents, and I remember having a Count Duckula plushie. With hard, it had hard plastic eyes. The amount of times I fucking bashed my teeth on that thing. Um, Mr. Chimney Part and this book of Norse mythology. And I fucking loved it. And um, it's in terms of mythology and and sort of stories and uh, aesthetic and and figures from myth. um, It's probably the thing I got the most affinity for because of that book. Um, It's why Fenrir, for example, is like my favorite mythological um, character because i read the story of him um being tied to that rock um and and something about it just sort of evoked something like i just really Mm. liked that story yeah Uh, like like marked out when fenrir was like a summon in final fantasy 9 and stuff like that um but (laughs) yeah you have to be careful because it's you know they'll lump you in with the people who uh you know, have Knight Templar images as their YouTube profile picture and shit like that. Like, it's it's Norse mythology and medieval times. Like, it's just been appropriated by assholes. It's it's a real shame because I was very much enjoying aesthetically. I'm on a cool boat flying through space into like a uh, like a neon cathedral. Like it was it was a cool aesthetic experience, and then I was like, oh yeah, I forgot Nazis fucking love this shit. Um, so yeah, take that caveat about some of the bands that appear in, uh, in Ragnarok, cause it's, it's a real shame. Like up until, up until remembering to Google bands, I was going to like really sell this. Um, what about you? What have you played this week? Uh, let's see. There have been a couple games came out, which I'm planning to do a, um, like review stuff on, uh, Octopath Traveler 2 came out yeah how some, uh, that how's how's it going uh it's good yeah it's yeah. uh largely the same um that that is what i've been hearing <laughs> yeah like like very much the same it's um it's it's why i've not picked it up is i like i wanted to like the first one more than i did and i'm like if it's more of the same it, it, it's probably yeah. still not gonna be for me <laughs> now i loved the first one 
Um, yeah. I also 100% understand anyone who didn't. Any of the criticisms people have, I'm like, you know what? It's either a taste thing or it's something I didn't mind but completely understand others sort of not being thrilled with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this will not change any minds whatsoever. It's largely the same. And there's good and bad elements of that. So it's, yeah, again, turn-based RPG, uh, eight protagonists, um, the same classes as last time. So you've got the dancer that does a lot of buffs and things, and you've got a cleric that does cleric shit, thief, hunter, warrior, um, apothecary, which is a sort of a um, amalgamation of a bunch of um, support classes and... Um, the scholar, which is the the magic class, and uh, and the merchant, which is always the best class, because everything in the game is expensive, and the merchant <laughs> makes the money. Um, so I could see where they've tried. Well, the way they've tried to make it look like they've enhanced it just comes across like they've tried to make it look like they've enhanced it and it's not yeah. actually all that enhanced um for example every in the original game every single character class every character because uh, it was tied to the character not the class but every single character had a unique ability um it was really four abilities shared but one was a sort of virtuous version and one was a sort of roguish version uh for example you can, um, in the original game, the merchant could buy items that NPCs had, uh, or the thief, if they were a high enough level, could steal the items instead. Yeah. Um, the apothecary could talk to someone to learn stuff about the, the town and get various passive benefits. The scholar could scrutinize them. And the trade-off with these was... If we use the, the merchant thief thing for an example, um, buying, as long as you've got the money or in some cases meet the level requirements, it's a guaranteed success. If you do the rogue version, there's a percentage chance, which can go up to 100%, um, and it's based on your level. So it's like, I could be at the right level to talk to this person, or there is an 80% chance of scrutinizing them I can take the risk to get it early. Um, and that's yeah. how it's supposed to work out. Sometimes it really did end up to where it's like, this isn't fucking worth it. Um, I've never really quite... Every time I've tried the merchant buying instead of sh stealing, I got burned because sometimes you it's more expensive than you can sell it for and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And the thief required so much leveling to steal anything and then it's just it wasn't massively balanced um yeah. but yeah largely it was you could challenge people to duels for basically mm. no fucking reason uh you could steal or buy you could scrutinize or talk and you could hire an npc to follow you around by either being the dancer and seducing them or being the um oh, who did the the cleric and and sort mm. of shepherding them um in this one they've tweaked it a bit so largely every character gets their original... It, they're different characters, but they're the same roles. So yeah. every character type gets their original thing. And sometimes they've been tweaked a bit. Sometimes to be more useful. Sometimes not so much. Additionally, the game has a 
it's not a day-night cycle. Basically, you can turn the world day or night at a press of a button. And mm. that changes the skills each character has, each of these NPC interaction skills. Um, that's exciting. Because now everybody has two abilities. <gasps> and I'm like, wow, this is going to... I wonder what cool, interesting ideas they... Oh, wait, no, they're just other versions of the existing ones. So now now you've got, like, four choices to do oh. the same thing instead of two choices to do the same thing. So you've got, um, you've got nice daytime, naughty daytime, and nice evening, naughty evening. Sort basically. of, yeah. Yeah, sort of. And some of them are just so fucking useless. Um, or at least I currently don't see the point. Such as information gathering. The Apothecary during the day can still um, talk to people. The Scholar can still scrutinise people. Additionally, you can, uh, you can, you can uh, interrogate people as the Cleric, because he's an Inquisitor. Ooh. Which is a one-on-one -on -one battle in which you've got to um, break the opponent's guard. Which, so long as they're vulnerable to holy magic or the club weapon, <laughs> you can do it. Otherwise, jog the fuck on, come back when you've multiclassed. Um, additionally, the warrior at night can bribe NPCs. Bear okay. in mind that, like... But let's say 70% of the things you learn from NPCs are just fluff. Yeah. I'm not dropping a thousand leaves on someone to find out that they're like a fisherman's wife or something like that. <laughs> um, it's just some of them are wildly expensive. Um, and, and yeah, like that's some of them are, just seem so unnecessary and I'm not sure why it is. And I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't take the opportunity to do literally anything new. Um, yeah. Some of them are at least, at least have a little bit of a quirk. For example, getting an NPC to follow you around. Now, again, last time the cleric and the dancer could do it. This time the cleric, the dancer, the hunter and the merchant can do it. Um, I forget what the merchant does, but you hire them by offering them jerky, which you get by capturing monsters and turning them into jerky or other foodstuffs, which is kind of an interesting little mechanic. Um, Dancer still does her alluring to basically seduce them and the um, cleric still shepherds them along. Um, the merchant hires them and some of them are fucking expensive, but they sort of come into their own and pay for themselves because NPCs that the merchant hires have a passive ability that makes you or saves you money. And mm. that's interesting. Um, yeah. It does mean that if you find a really good one, like, you're set. Like, I yeah. haven't... I'm sure I'll eventually run into someone better, but, like, I've got... I've hired an NPC that I never bring out into battle because I don't want him to go away and he's useless <laughs> anyway, doesn't do anything. But he gets me, it's like a between something but up to 30% extra money whenever I sell anything. And yeah. I know there are other ones that do even better or be like a better window, a better percentile, um, wildly expensive. Um, but that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, that sort of... And and I think that the the guy I hired has more than paid for himself now. Yeah. And things are like if you like 
collect money from enemies in in battle you can have an npc that gets you more or one that gives you like there's a one percent chance to buy an item for free and i'm sure they're a better percentage but i've never seen one better than one at the moment um but yeah it's that's at least interesting um they've changed the way the warrior duels work um the cleric investigation thing was a an added version of that in octopath traveler the hunter could challenge people to fights and the warrior could challenge people to fights and most of the time that was useless uh but sometimes helped if there was an uh, an npc that was blocking a door that you couldn't get rid of any other way um mm. here you've got you can challenge them to a duel as the warrior you can interrogate as the cleric i guess that counts um provoke with the hunter or there are two non-combat versions the thief can ambush them and just knock them out without any fighting and the apothecary if you've got the required ingredients can create a little sleeping draft and get make them go to sleep Hmm. that's neat that's cute um but i do like that they've made the warriors the warrior specific one uh just unique to that character actually really worthwhile uh, yeah. To the point of almost overpowered. Um, this time, you don't get fuck all if you challenge someone to a duel. If you challenge someone to a duel with the warrior and win, every NPC, which is us- has always been for like hiring purposes when you use them in mm. a fight, but every NPC has a special attack um, that has a weapon type attached to it or a magic element type attached to it and some special ability. If you beat someone with the warrior, you can learn that ability and you can equip up to five of them. That sounds so much more valuable. It is so much more worthwhile (laughs) because it gives you access to weapon types without needing to multi-class. So, you know, the warrior starts with the spear and the uh, the pole arms and swords, but Mm. you can fight someone who, you know, uses a staff or a dagger and take their ability. And when you attack you'll get that weapon type, which is really good for breaking enemy defences because you do that by attacking them with whatever they're weak to. Um, What I love about it is I have... I currently have an ability that's better than the Scholar's, like, actual gimmick. Oh, he can mug people, by the way. That's Ah. another (laughs) one-on-one fight thing. Uh, Instead of just stealing um, with the thief or or getting the dancer to just ask people nicely for it, uh, which is another new one. Uh, the scholar can just mug someone, and that's sort of funny for a bit. Um, but yeah, I've got... The scholar's, like, has Analyze, basically. Mm. Uh, that old RPG ability yeah. where you can, like, find out what an enemy is weak to, which is really useful in this game. If, yeah. if you don't want to, like, trial and error it to find out what what weapons and what elements are going to break an enemy's guard. Um, Use scrutiny, sorry, use analyze and you'll learn one weakness. Or if you use the bravely default style stocking thing, you can learn more. Yeah. I, my warrior beat someone with the ability deep analysis, (laughs) which by default unveils two weaknesses and then an additional weakness for every time you do the thing. So my warrior... Is, is better at, at analysing than your dedicated analyzer character. Yes. Now, the trade-off is that the scholar has a passive to automatically learn one weakness every time a battle starts. Yeah. But I'm currently not using the scholar. 
uh, I just don't care to. Yeah. Um, and as a result, I I just don't I I'm not swapping out my the warrior who's I've forgotten all of their names, um, but I'm not swapping out the warrior because that the deep analysis is so fucking good, um, and that's on top of like being able to give him all sorts of other stuff like buffs and and like multi hit attacks and on top of his existing warrior skills and stuff, um, just really good. Um, on what was already a really good class because of just the sheer amount of physical damage output. Um, but yeah, largely I'm disappointed with just... They've just doubled up on what was already there. Um, yeah. The stories themselves are... Here's where I said about it making it look like they've... They've given the appearance of enhancing the experience without doing all that much. Um, yeah. It was said this time, ah... Because one of the big criticisms last time was the stories, the eight different stories didn't interact very much. It was eight very mm. different separate stories that the other characters were just party members for. Yeah, they were, and they had were just no stood impact. in the room for. Yeah. And, every, uh, you know, I was hearing like, oh, they've, they've changed it this time. Now there's more interact. There's not. There's not. I have played for hours and hours and hours and... Everything is still completely self-contained, except last night I unlocked a chapter that had two characters in it. <gasps> That's the compromise. It's not that they're all more involved in each other's stories. It's that you can unlock chapters that involve two characters, yeah. which is better than the original. I, I mean, it's yeah. Just for those who wanted more, it's it's not going to scratch the itch they had in particular. Yeah. It's it's not what I was hoping, but it is closer to what I was hoping. Yeah. Now, by the same token, I understand. There are eight characters. To fully voice and rewrite things to account for whatever different party makeup you have, that's a lot of work. I, I get that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Sorry. They've called me early. Okay. That's all right. I'll be back as soon as I can. No worries, let me know when ready. Okay. Hello? Uh, yep, that's me. Hiya. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, just had to take a phone call. It was that thing I mentioned earlier, the uh, yeah, nut allergy. Yeah. Um, good news. I did indeed test uh, negative for a nut allergy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bad news. He still told me not to eat any. <laughs> he said there's too much... Because it's not fully reliable as a test. It's not like 100% gospel. Plus there's a lot of cross-contamination with nuts. Plus the fact I've had anaphylaxis makes me a very high risk factor anyway. There is a very high risk that um, I could still like go into shock if I have peanuts. So I'm very sad, but... You know. Despite the fact that on paper you don't have an allergy, you totally have an allergy, please don't eat them. Yeah, I think it's basically like, he, he, not in as many words, but he more or less said, like, I can't tell you you can't eat peanuts, but <laughs> if you do, you are not suing my ass. Yeah. It was basically that, like, he literally at one point did say, like, look, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying you won't. Uh, be able to eat peanuts safely. Uh, not safely. Yeah. Basically, just said, you know, I'm not saying that you will definitely have a reaction. You might be absolutely fine and not allergic, but um, I wouldn't eat a peanut if I were you. Basically, yeah. Basically, it came down to I wouldn't. 
Um, which is fair. Like, you know, I knocked it on the head when I had my first proven reaction to... Um, yeah. Like, my evil stepdad um, blamed me when I had my first nut allergy reaction uh, to some pistachios. Yeah, yeah. The rash was because I was dirty, you see. Um, oh, of course, of course. He was a bit fucking weird. Um, S- sounds it. Yeah, luckily... No one ever took advantage or exploited me or abused me uh, in my adulthood. So Never that was not fine. A... Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm uh... kind of gutted. I, I was looking forward to, because Wednesday is a, a day I stream yeah. um, just before yourself. Uh, yeah. And was looking forward to having um, Stephanie's Nut Day, where we <laughs> I would just eat nuts on the stream and every, it would be a nut bang and it'd be great. Um, but you I've have I have had anaphylactic shock. I have been hospitalized with an allergy. It was one of the most traumatic um yeah, acute I'd... acute trauma yeah. situations I've been in and it I do not care to repeat it. I wouldn't risk it. No. <laughs> no, so unfortunately the dry roasted are going to have to stay on the shelf. Um but Octopath Traveler too. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was, but basically. Uh, oh yeah. You yeah you 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 were saying about like you you get that there's reasons technically yes. why there's not more interweavingness, and all I was gonna say to, to that was I get technically why that's the case, but also I've played games with similar numbers of of NPCs that have dialogue that accounts for the order you pick them up in. Yeah. Like. Mass Effect, Xenoblade 3. Like, I can name a few. It's not that it can't be done. And you can, like, you know, create a good illusion. Like, they do the travel banter already. It's not voiced. But, you know, in between story scenes in a a given chapter, uh, two party members, you know, a random party member you've got will talk to the um, uh, main star of that chapter and they'll have a little bit of banter about what's going on. And that's, you know, cute. Um they could have done it, and they yeah. they elected not to. And it's, <clears throat> I wouldn't say it bothered me as much as it did bother others. I kind of yeah. just was like, you know what, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> I will say that the problem here is Octopath Traveler, the first one, was just a lovely little experience. Mm. Um and because this one is just doing so much of the same, a lot of the sheen's worn off. It's not that any yeah. of it's bad, but it, I... It's just that it's not the only game that looks like that anymore, yeah. and the, the the character gimmicks aren't novel, and... Yeah, and it's just yeah. after having done it once in a game already, um, and these games being as long as they are, like going into a new village every single time and going up to every NPC and running through all of your interactions to mm. get the most out of every village and then doing it again at night, um, <laughs> which you can't just, you know, interact with the same NPC at day and night. Obviously, the NPCs move around and some are only available at night and some aren't. And, you know, just there's so much fiddly management if you worry about getting the most out of your party yeah um and on top of that like things are a little more a little less laborious than they were um Hmm. i feel like things are easier to buy than they were in the original game things aren't so 
Things are still prohibitively expensive, but making money is between all of the new characters, well, between all of the abilities, things are a little easier to either get off of NPCs or sell to make money. Um, so I'm not feeling like it's quite as grindy as before. That's good. Yeah. The level requirements, the, the, the jump in level requirements uh, between chapters one and two and three have been brought down some. So I don't feel like there's a, a level barrier uh, between chapters so much. Um, things like thieving and stuff like that. Um, I am using the thief a lot more than I did the last time. So she has been leveling up, but it just seems easier in general to just get hold of items and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's a little less grindier, but it is still a slow game. Every enemy has this is subject to this game mechanic which is pretty cool but 20 hours in you get tired of breaking enemy guards um like oh find out which weapons this enemy is weak to and then hit yeah. them with it until they're vulnerable and you can deal some actual fucking damage um and and so many fights are just so long that it's mm. a drag and yeah. i was fine enough with that in the first one the second game adding so little uh of convenience um and the stories are, are hit and miss again um like watching it with phoenix in the room i'm sometimes secondhand embarrassed um yeah. because while there are some good plots and mm. there's some really fun voice acting and stuff some of the writing is so infantile and banal. Like the merchant story. I like the merchant character. Just this sort of friendly, old-timey, prospector-voiced kind of guy. Not old-timey, but that sort of yeah, know, yeah. prospecty, mining town kind of guy who's trying to eliminate poverty from the world. And, and it's such, like, baby's first socialism <laughs> that misses the point of a lot of it. And... It's so... Look, I am all about kicking the shit out of moustache-twirling capitalists. Hmm. But it's... There's such a naivety to it as well, to this. Yeah. Where it's like... It's not even that the capitalists are moustache-twirlingly evil. I think I've learned enough about the world to understand that... No, there is no nuance to that. <laughs> they are just evil. But... Just the the... The broad stroke simplicity of it, of, um, you know, this one capitalist is evil, but this 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 one good capitalist with a heart of gold can make it yeah. all better. Um, like, it's on the cusp of, of stuff where I want to be like, yeah, right on. But I'm there with Phoenix and they're watching it just being like, this is some of the most insipid writing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and they're not wrong. Uh, some of it is embarrassingly written. Um, but then, you know, the, the, the thief story, Throne's story, I remembered her name. Um, oh. hers is quite good. You know, she's part of this sort of gang of thieves that were brought up by this sort of shady, these figures called mother and father who seem to be like some world-class perverts. Um, they collar all of the kids and make them sort of, you know, treat them like shit and whip them all the time. And the the mother character is particularly sort of skeevy with it. Uh, and she's um, thrown a sort of going to assassinate them both and 
like get free and that's been pretty cool um the dancer is um agnia uh, she's the one i started with because i started with primrose mm. in the first one um hers is good just because it's there's nothing serious about it at all. It's like this version, this game's version of the first game's merchant story. Like, she just wants to be a star. Um, and so she's traveling the world to um, make her name as a dancer. And, and it's very cute. And her naivety is, her in-game naivety is quite quite nice. Um, so it's very hit and miss. Um, yeah. I will say the one really good thing is they do have another character class that isn't tied to a character, as far as I can tell. Um, and I just, I didn't know it was in the game, but there was a house just on the way to a town and there's an inventor inside. Um, and he gives you the subclass inventor, uh, which I whacked on Agnia. Um, you get a little top hat with goggles on it, like a proper little steampunk garb. Um, and you, instead of learning skills, um, the traditional way, you gather components to bring back to the inventor for him to invent a new machine. And there are these glass cases in a sort of museum uh, that list what you need. Um, mm. And when you bring them back, he will invent it. And then that becomes the inventor's latest skill, oh. uh, which is really kind of neat. Um, yeah. Like I gathered enough sort of elemental stones and a, a bottle and brought them back. And he made a bomb that will hit enemies so long as you know an enemy's uh magic elemental weakness the bomb will hit them for that damage um which is kind of neat yeah. and then there's a yeah. a catapult that you can fire at all enemies that will deal um damage based on the weapon type you load it with uh just neat stuff like that so that's cool and i hope to see more stuff like that but so far it's basically the same game uh yeah. with some bells and whistles that are kind of the same bells and whistles but rearranged um i do like it it's still yeah. baseline a quality fucking game i love what that, that team does um i forget the name of the studio it's not tokyo rpg studio is it no it's, i forgot as well yeah they did live a live yeah. and all of that um like i love their output and, and I've, I've loved some of it. Live, yeah. live a live, I really enjoyed. And I, I want to enjoy the Octopath games. Yeah. I get what they're doing. And they're a... They, it looks gorgeous. I mean, it. I yeah. could be wrong, but it feels like it looks even better than the first one. Like, it feels like the animation is just that little bit more detailed. And, mm. like, I love the way every character, like, looks when they run. Every single one looks completely distinct. Um... Square Enix in collaboration with Acquire. That's the oh, yeah. the devs. Uh, Square and Acquire. Uh, but yeah, I I really like it. Really like it. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm a lot more critical of it. Like I think I think I gave a Jimquisition award to the first Octopath Traveler. Um, with Octopath Traveler two, I've seen everything that I gave it an award to already like the stuff that surprised me i've seen now mm. and it's not done a lot to add to, to step to that. back up to that yeah. pedestal yeah and it's playing through it having played the first one recently as well um i'm just more aware of the more tedious elements yeah. but yeah uh i would it's it's worth if you loved if you loved the first one like i did 
at the very least, I can say I like this one. And there we yeah. are. Well, in that case, I'm going to rattle through some games. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I got some to get through. Uh, there's one I'll probably talk about a little more than the others. Um, I played a really interesting demo for a game this week uh, called Humanity, which, just as a side note, I really hope this game doesn't like completely fly under the radar because it's the worst name for a video game to try and Google. Because even if you Google Humanity Game, you get Cards Against Humanity. Like, getting huh. this game to show up in Google... Like, I had to go Humanity Game PS5, I think, to find it. Uh, humanity, from the demo, seems to be... What if Lemmings was a critique on capitalism and the way that it views human life as disposable? Uh... It is a isometric lemming style game where you play as a little ghost dog that can put down like, you know, little things in, on, on grid spaces in the world that will tell these, uh, this endless supply of humans, you know, turn this way, jump, do a long jump, things like that. Tell them instructions that will get them through these levels. Uh-huh. Unlike lemmings, you have a literally infinite supply of these things. You are not punished for your lemmings dying. They are a disposable resource. Uh, They are a resource that initially I was trying very hard to, like, not have any die. I would restart the level to make sure that was the case. And as the demo went on, it became apparent that the level design was going to force you to use them as disposable, and that was narratively relevant. Uh, As you get further in, you start getting these big golden humanoids, and the objective of level stops being getting your like masses and masses of humans safely to the end of the level. It becomes, get your big crowd of humans to reach that, that gold humanoid, because they'll only move with the crowd, and get the, the, the big gold person to the finish line safely. Any humans who die along the way to make that happen, collateral damage. Uh, the way that it builds its mechanics uh, to reinforce its narrative feels very gradual and very like it's look it's a little it's a little in your face but in a way that like because it isn't saying the thing it doesn't feel too heavy-handed or at least as heavy-handed as it could be um i really enjoy a lot of the puzzle design of these these uh, environments they're all they all make me think of like Captain Toad Treasure Tracker in that sort of like little enclosed diorama that you just have to turn around and look around and go cool I understand all the facets of this go make my little set of instructions that's going to get everyone safely where they need to be um the the narrative seems interesting I, I toward the end of the demo it starts introducing like groups of other humans who are greyed out and uh you cannot let your your big gold human touch them because they will get they will get swayed they'll they'll you know they they will no longer be one of yours they'll get taken away from you and maybe you're gonna have to start killing groups of other humans through puzzle design to safely keep control of this this very valuable figure it's interesting it plays really nicely, and one of the things I love about it is, I've I've said this for years, I want more games on modern consoles to take advantage of the fact that, like, modern computing power means you can throw fucking thousands of objects on screen at once if you don't make them too high detail. 
and have a bunch of physics simulated objects doing their own thing. And this really leans into that. It it throws huge numbers of, of little tiny humans around doing their thing and makes the sort of sheer scope of how much you are... Th- how many people you're trying to micromanage at once uh, comes across very well. It has some really clever level design. It's out in May, I think, and... What I played of this demo has me really excited to play the game when it comes out. Um, it is available in VR or not in VR. The VR mode was really nice, but like I don't think anyone would lose anything by not playing it in VR. But uh, yeah, it's called Humanity. It's from the development team that did uh, Tetris Effect Connected and Res Infinite, which like had my attention straight away. And yeah, they 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 got me they got me on board with this. Um. Some other bits to, like, very quickly rattle through. Uh, I started playing a VR game called Tentacular. It is a game where you play a giant cephalopod uh, in the ocean, like, absolutely huge. Uh, on the day of your 16th birthday, your human sister gives you the uh, the devastating news that you're adopted, uh, that you are not a human, as you've always believed, you are a giant cephalopod. Time to go learn to make your way in the world as a big squid with squid arms. Uh, it is silly, it is charming, it has a great sense of humour. It's one of those VR games that is... It drops you in static positions mm-hmm. and doesn't make you move around a lot, which works really well for VR comfort. Um, it is very satisfying from like the middle of your arm upwards just having tentacles to, to grab stuff with. And the physics around how your tentacles work are very satisfying. It's... It's it's real charming. It seems like it's going to be about five hours, which feels about the right length for the kind of thing it is. Um, and lastly, I played some of the um, the VR port of Resident Evil Village that that dropped last week, and uh, that game looks gorgeous in a good VR headset with like HDR. The being in the dark with a torch held in my hand was some of the best, like, darkness and lighting I've ever seen in a video game. It's a real shame that every other aspect of this video game feels entire uh, th- this VR port feels entirely rushed and not thought through at all, and, like, it just had to hit release day and that was the only caveat. Uh, some examples. Anytime that you're crawling on the floor or knocked to the ground, what happens is you're my body from the neck down was underground and only my head was above the ground and that was very weird and disorienting. Sometimes in cutscenes, if you're trying to look at subtitles uh, and there's an object in front of you that's too close, the the subtitles will appear doubled and on top of each other because if the subtitles get too close, you can't, like, they're too close to make a, 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 a single point of focus and they just break. Um, the movement speed and the acceleration are not at all tweaked from the default game that was not designed to be played in VR. And oh, that's what you want. Yeah. Non-VR movement speeds and acceleration speeds do not play well with VR. No. Um, there is no thought to, like, having options for, like, teleporting around as they did in, like, Resident Evil 4 VR that's, uh, that's a port that exists. It's just, like, a really disappointing port, and it's a shame because... It, it looked really cool holding a torch in the dark. It was very cool. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't play it. Uh, what about you? You played anything else this week? Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Kirby. 
came out as well on the same day oh. as Octopath Traveler, so that was I a know, big old day. It, I didn't know New Kirby was out. Yeah, Return oh, to Dreamland Deluxe. Um, yeah, it's what it is. It's a, a yeah. redo of Return to Dreamland, which was uh, a wonderful game. Um, I'm tr- trying to jog my memory on the fly. Before I write the review, I want to sort of um, reread the... Uh, stuff about the original just to make sure i'm remembering it right but if i recall correctly this came after epic yarn and um Mm. just a bunch of kirby games that were kind of playing around with the formula and stuff yeah um or at least the aesthetic uh and and just doing very different to traditional kirby and return to dreamland as its name suggested was like like old-fashioned kirby Kirby. let's just do an old proper kirby and i remember loving it at the time um it's still really good. It's Kirby. Yeah. Like, it's what it is. Um, <clears throat> Kirby is one of those series that you can just repackage me another game that is a Kirby game every now and then, and I'll I'll have a great time. It's yeah. just a very comfortable series. Oh, yeah. Like, I I don't talk about Kirby a lot these days, but I guess there's not a ton of Kirby stuff to talk about. Well, there yeah. was the, the Forgotten World, which yeah. I actually didn't care for as much as a lot of people did. Um, yeah, but, you know, I remember. I, yeah, I used to be very well known for my uh, my love of Kirby. And uh, whenever there's a new Kirby, I, it's got my attention. It just mm. makes me happy. Um, yeah. Whenever a new game comes out, if, if you're in the same house as me, you will guarantee, uh, you'll be able to guarantee hearing me, like, scampering about going Poyo! many times in sheer giddy round excitement um it's yeah it's just a delight it looks fucking gorgeous i'm, I'm excited to see the new content in it because I, I remember really enjoying this one when it came out and i'm aware that there is a new little story thing with some new gameplay and i don't know i don't know enough to know whether that's like post game unlocked or what yeah this is where i'm gonna have to like properly like research to because i can't remember things that happened five minutes ago you know uh let alone like god was this a wii game uh i think it was 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 it maybe i think something like that like ages ago can't remember uh a lot about it um but so i can't say with 100 percent what's new and what's not at the moment without the the thing I know is new is um uh, I've forgotten the character's name the little the little wizardy the Mago little Mag yeah. Mag yeah Mr Magoo yeah there is a Mr Magoo little story mode that right. is new that I have not seen I've seen the theme yeah. park I I was guessing you'd probably have to get to the post game to get to yeah. the Mr Magoo stuff but yeah there is that that's the thing I'm excited I'm excited about is is like that seems like it's gonna have different gameplay mechanics and that seems interesting yeah um yeah i'm right at the end and Mm. need to finish it up before doing my review writing uh so i'll be able to know about all of that yeah uh but yeah the um as far as i'm aware the theme park stuff's new it's got a whole bunch of sub games in it which i believe they're not new because they are in the story mode as well Mm. um but a bunch of sub games you can play against the cpu or friends um just silly gimmicky shit like there's a a weird sort of bomberman-esque thing where you're deleting um bits of floor in a long line to get the other players to fall through the holes or a timing game where like a bomb is being thrown around and you've got to time your hit with a frying pan to knock it to someone else like hot potato basically yeah little games like that and they earn you little stamps 
um, for playing each game and doing well in each game. Um, and that unlocks the most important part of the game, which is the masks. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's a whole bunch of masks that Kirby can wear, um, some of which have their own unique sound effects and replace Kirby's voice. Some of them just, well, don't. But, you know, you can wear a uh, Meta Knight's mask. Actually, there's like three different Meta, uh, Meta Knight masks. <laughs> One of like all the regular, um, all of the game's bosses. Like you can wear a, a Wispy Aww. Woods mask. Uh, King Dedede, of course. Um some of them are nice little references. There's, uh, you can wear a mask of the Roboto uh, from Robototo or whatever it was. The robot yeah. from the, the DS game. Um, the sexy cheetah lady from Forgotten uh, oh, yeah. Land is in it. Uh, the, you can wear a mask of Kirby's face when he eats a traffic cone from that game as well. Um, also, last night I unlocked a mask of Kirby's face. So you can just oh. wear Kirby's face over Kirby's face. Oh, that's charming. That's yeah. perfect. Um, I didn't think much about it when I unlocked the yellow and the blue one. But then I unlocked the pink one and I was like, what the... F- oh, it's just his face. Um, so that's cool. And like I say, some of them have um, unique sounds that, that play instead of Kirby's uh, uh, usual like little giggles. And if you press the right stick in different directions, Kirby does a little animation and it'll play any voices that are attached to the mask. That's the most important part of the game because I am a sucker <laughs> for that shit. Cosmetics and silly little dress-ups and things. Gosh, I'm all yeah. about it. My, my favourite one of those is still uh, Yoshi's Crafted World where you get the, get the little cardboard outfits mm. to, like, that Yoshi had to hold up around, around yeah. the waist. Oh, yeah, I love shit sucker. like that. Um, you know, I make the point all the time about how It's Just Cosmetic was never a justification for microtransactions, because to me, uh, cosmetics are gameplay. It's part of the gameplay. The reason I'm playing so many of those fucking minigames is to get masks. That's the point of the whole game now. Mm. Um, there's also a fun little online mode, because one of the minigames is basically just seeing how quick you can press a button. Um, Mm. it's like a samurai standoff, Kirby on one side, someone else on the other, and a prompt will come up to hit a button, and you hit it. And then, you know, whoever hits first wins. It's like a duel. Um, they've got an online mode where a hundred Kirby players, (gasps) um, are basically, like, it's not in real time, but everyone's yeah. time once a day is logged and then it will just put you against 99 people who have logged their times. And then you press it and there's a neat little animation of Kirby just sort of carving through dozens of other Kirbys, all of them wearing like whatever mask the player was wearing at the time as well. So oh. it's like all these little masked Kirbys and you fly through them until you hit your record. Um, my highest so far is 76. I've gotten 76 out of 100. Um, and you get just a shitload of uh, stamps for that. You can only do it once a day, but you get a shitload of stamps, and then you can get masks. Brilliant. It's the point of the game. Um, but yeah, quality. It's a. It's an absolutely great mask collection game with a good Kirby yeah. game attached to it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm glad of it. Uh, Neat. Yeah. Hopefully, we get like things like triple deluxe made as well. Yeah. Uh. 
I've got two other games to very quickly talk about because this is the yeah. penultimate week of Laura's Playdate Corner. Must be nice, so it must, it must be nice. Must be nice. It is. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Uh, so there's only one more week left after this of of season one of Playdate games. Uh, so this week's games are. Forest Burns, Up in Smoke, uh, Burns being B-Y-R-N-E-S, because it's a surname, uh, and Battleship Goddies. Uh, I'll talk about Battleship Goddies first. I need to work out how What's to explain it this game. Battleship Goddies. Goddies. G-O-D-I-E-S. Yeah, okay. I'm as perplexed by the name as you are, but yeah. I'll go. I'll, I'll talk about this one first. Imagine a side-scrolling like uh, ship shooter... But the gimmick is, you have a limited number of bullets that bounce around like you're playing like Breakout uh, or Arkanoid or whatever, and you have to catch them on their return to be able to use that bullet again. If you don't mm. catch the bullet back, you don't have that bullet for future shooting at the various ships you're trying to hit. Shit, uh, trying oh, to hit. Okay. And I make the sort of like Breakout Arkanoid comparison. Not just for, you know, the reasons of, like, having to catch, like, be where your bouncing projectile is. A lot of the ships you are trying to shoot down are deliberately designed to be, like... You know in, like, a, a breakout stage where, like, you've managed to carve a bit of a gap in all the bricks. And you're trying to get your thing to, like, bounce all the way up and it's going to be in there for ages. And it's, like, going to go miles along this sort of route you've carved. A lot of the ships are designed like that, where there will be a long winding route to the core of the ship you're trying to hit, mm -hmm. and you're trying to fire your bullet so it ricochets along the route, hits the core of the ship so it explodes, and then you go catch your bullet when it comes back. It is pretty tricky, but I like the concept. I like what it's trying to do. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about it is that if you uh, are damaged and like lose a life... You can use the crank to rewind that playthrough you were doing and pick exactly where in that run you want to restart from, uh, which is really appreciated. You don't have to redo the whole level if you had one bad moment. But you can get into situations in this game where you have no bullets left to fire and you haven't been destroyed and the only way to restart is to deliberately fly yourself into a ship and take damage and lose a life right. so that you can rewind to a point where you still had access to that last bullet. Hmm. I wish that you could optionally rewind. Or e even if it took a life up still, I wish you didn't have to go crash yourself in those situations. But it is a neat little novel idea, and it is, it is m way more of a positional puzzle than these sort of side-scrolling shooters tend to be. It focuses a lot more on there is maybe two or at most three ships on screen at once, uh, and you have more time to sort of be a little thoughtful about how you interact with them. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that dropped this week was Forest Burns Up in Smoke, which is just Shovel Knight reskinned yeah. to be about a, will, a, a person trying to fight forest fires. Okay. Or not not fight forest fires, run away from forest fires. Far braver. 
Yeah. So you you are some kind of like uh, park ranger uh, in your little park ranger uniform, and you've got a shovel because it's. I did tell you it's just shovel night. Um, and you have these like little puzzly levels that seem to be procedurally generated to some degree. They're all fairly short, self-contained uh, levels, and there is. On the left-hand side of the screen, fire is coming and it's moving to the right. You have to get all the way to the right-hand side of the stage to get to the helicopter to be to be rescued. Uh, hopefully, rescuing children and collecting like uh, you know little collectibles along the way. It is possible to not collect children. It, there, there is there is very real possibilities in this game of children just burning alive in a forest fire if you're not good at the game. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but when I when I say it is just Shovel Knight, um, you know in Shovel Knight where you have the shovel and you uh, you bounce on the shovel to get extra height on the jump? Yeah. It's got that. Okay. It's got sometimes there'll just be dirt walls in front of you you use the shovel to sort of dig through. Uh, you can use the shovel like a, like a melee weapon to like chop down a tree to have a thing to cross a, uh, a bridge to cross over, over some water or something. It's just reskinned mini procedurally generated levels of Shovel Knight with a time pressure because there's fire coming. And I don't dislike it, but I can't get away from how brazenly just Shovel Knight it, it is. It's what if we made a Shovel Knight offshoot mode where there was there was time trial pressure, go do our quick quick little level we made. And I don't dislike it, it just... It, it, it's a weird one to... I feel weirdly about it. Um, but yeah, that was this week's Playdate Games. I played some more of them. They continued to be nice. Sounded, sounded like it must be. Yeah. Sounded like it must be. You, you played anything else before we, uh, we rattle through some news? Yeah, well, briefly. Um, I know it's sort of mostly been re-released for VR purposes, um, but I had memories of it so just downloaded and played it without vr because it it's vr optional um mm. but the re-release of fantavision i've been playing oh, uh, yeah. the old firework matching puzzle game uh mm. which i couldn't remember a damn thing about um in my mind it was a rhythm game um but i'm beginning to think i might have been imagining something else because I think there was some sort of fireworky rhythm game on Xbox Live in like the early 2010s. Uh, and I might have, because I remember like classical music or something being played. Whereas this is very much a puzzle game with a, a sort of a trippier sort of feel hmm. to it. Um, but either way, I vaguely have a clue what's going on. I... <laughs> did watch the tutorials that are in the game but they are so boring um just like plain text with basic images and the world's most bored woman voicing the uh the instructions so i adhd'd my way out yeah. of paying attention yeah. so i'm still kind of piecing it together but essentially you um sort of have this little target fixed on screen you point it at fireworks as they come on the screen and your cursor will uh, zip over and capture the firework and then you can zip to other ones. Uh, the idea is to get a chain of the same coloured fireworks uh, captured in a row, then press the detonate button to make them go kaboom. There are rainbow fireworks as well. 
uh, which you know can be used in place of any color. And then there are these little like power up icons and things. I think I know how to chain <laughs> multiple different colored fireworks together and actually get them to detonate, but I'm not fucking sure. I made my way through easy mode and hard mode, both. Uh, there isn't a normal mode, but I have played through both modes and, you know, survived. Uh, so I must on some level know how to play it. Uh, but for the most part, like, it really is just pointing, capturing, hammering the detonate button and hoping for the best. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It's Visually, it's very nice. And with the amount of fireworks sort of exploding in the foreground, I can tell, like, just how much uh, this was released to capitalise on uh, PSVR 2 coming out. Um, yeah did make me realize that vr ultimately is just like 3d for people that want neck problems um for for me it's the adhd is gonna make me get distracted shove me in a thing where like the video game is all there is it's just (laughs) just cramming it in just ludovico techniquing video game into your head um fair dues um yeah it's it's fantavision it's I, it's clearly not the thing I was thinking of, um, but I do remember Fantavision being a thing, and it's been a nice little distraction. It's yeah. there's not much to it, but it's neat. I could see, I could see people getting a fair bit out of it um, if they play it with VR, if they're into VR stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's about it for me. Well, in that case, should we should we rattle through some news quick? Yeah, because there's there's been some of that this week. Oh, good. Oh, fun. Uh, so we we got to start by talking about the uh, the producer of Final Fantasy 16, who we haven't talked about in a couple of weeks. Do you remember we last talked about him when he was like, "Oh, there's no there's no black people in Final Fantasy 16 because oh, yes. medieval Europe realism or whatever." Fucking hell! Oh, oh, okay. So have you heard anything about Final Fantasy 16's uh, accessibility settings? Mm, I saw you talk about them like on was it on Twitter you were tweeting about? Yeah, them? yeah. Yeah. So here's here's the we'll we'll start with like the thing that came out, which is that Final Fantasy 16 has some accessibility options, things like auto evade, uh one button combat, things that are like explicitly there to make it easier for people who struggle with the real-time action gameplay to be able to play. However, there are five of these accessibility-focused uh, settings. Uh, they are rings. They are equipable accessories. Yeah. There are only five accessory slots available in-game, mm. so you can't use all five of the accessibility settings at once, and they're the same access- accessory slots that you would otherwise be putting, like, buffs and character modifiers that would help you, like, help your character be better statted, you are having to that's sacrifice amazing. those to access these settings. It's not, it's not good. That's amazing. I, um, you know, I've been working <laughs> on a Jimquisition um, yeah. about ma- mostly addressing the, the critics of accessibility settings because that's yeah. sort of where the focus of my show is. Um, with this, like, and I made this point on a podquisition a few weeks ago, I think, yeah. and I am going to make it in the video as well. One of the things I love about accessibility settings is... Because no developer is going to want to look like an ablest piece of shit. 
Unlike with oh, cheats, no. they ain't going to disable um, trophies and achievements. It's mm. it's a free lunch if you're lazy like me. So, That's not to say, I just want to quickly add, yeah. before anyone <laughs> thinks, like, I do genuinely benefit from accessibility yeah. settings um, with my various neurodivergences. So I'm not just saying, like, oh, I'm... No, no, no. Yeah. But I do... I just so, enjoy the secret sense of power I get yeah. knowing they can't disable them or they'll so, look like shit. Then this game came along and did well, stuff like well, this. I was going to say, like, really hold on to what you were saying about, like, developers not wanting to look like ableist pieces yes. of shit with regards to how they handle stuff. Like, the story I have in the docket isn't even about the these settings. It's about um, why they exist, because there is an interview over on oh, GameSpot, no. uh, conducted by Steve Watts, uh, with Yoshi P, uh, talking about why the game is the way it is, and I'm, I'm gonna read you, like, the headline of the subhead of this article, because it's, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Final Fantasy 16 produces pride as a gamer influenced new take on difficulty settings. <laughs> and he, Okay, and here is here is the quote they have as the subhead. Do you want to change the difficulty to easy? I hate that. I have my pride as a gamer and I hate that. <laughs> just fucking just fucking like all all out on the table. I fucking hate easy modes. Easy modes are fucking bullshit. I fucking hate I have them. my pride as a gamer and I hate that. Oh, oh, that is a rallying cry for nerds everywhere. And look, I read through this whole thing being like, maybe maybe it's out of context. Like, my hope was that it would be, I I feel this way when I play games, but I respect that other people don't feel that way. You know, that's what I was hoping for. But no, no. Um, I consider myself a... Uh, sorry, yeah, here it is. I'm going to be 50 years old this year. I consider myself a gamer, and I have a, my gamer pride. When playing a game, you always get to that one part in the beginning where it says select your difficulty, easy, medium, hard. And again, I have my pride as a gamer, so I'm never going to choose easy. I'm always going to choose medium or hard. But then, when you die that first time and it says, do you want to change the difficulty to easy because you're struggling? I hate that. I have my pride as a gamer and I hate that. He mentions his pride as a gamer five times in one paragraph. He, he he uses the phrase "my pride is a game of five fucking times in a paragraph." That is, that is pathetic. That's right. fucking pathetic. Yeah, uh, and it's even more pathetic because he's got further to dig this hole. Um, so like he he goes on to basically say the reason why there's they've done these settings as rings uh, that take up your equipment slot and that you can't equip all of them is uh. Let, 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 let me read this. The game still had to feel like you were playing the game. We didn't want it to be fully automatic. We wanted to have the players still feel like they're participating in battles, and not only participating in the battles, but having fun in the battles as well. At the beginning, we're going to help you out, but once you've gotten used to the controls and have confidence in your abilities, then you start taking away those hand-holding ones and start putting the ones that power you up, that, ha th uh, that you have, and start focusing more on your actual abilities. It's... So yeah, he, he doesn't want you to use accessibility <clears throat> settings for the whole game. He wants you to be like, to, to grow out of needing them. Right. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I'm so exhausted by that this That is... It's what? real fucking bullshit, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's so much worse. Like, every time you go, that's got to be the worst, he said. He just keeps going. What an infantile man. Yeah. It's Final Fantasy as well. Like, it's not yeah. fucking... 
wizardry. Yeah. Like, and, it's not fucking... I I don't think yeah. I've ever played a Final Fantasy game thinking, oh, I can't wait to be challenged. Like, sure, if there's challenges in it, yeah, like, you know... You know what annoys me particularly about this? We just had a Square Enix, like, big AAA game release for Spoken. Mm. Many of these things were in an accessibility menu. The Square Enix recently released a game that had several of these things just available as explicitly labelled accessibility settings without any caveat required to use them. It's not like there isn't someone at Square Enix aware of this. Uh, the things that you can have assistance for, uh, you've apparently got a dog. The dog can have auto-commands, so you don't have to worry about controlling the dog at the same time as your character. Slow down time before an evadable attack, like give you, give you a bit of slowdown so you can go, ah, oh, cool, a little bit of help doing the dodge. One button combos, if you've struggled to, you know, do multiple buttons uh, in combination. Auto dodge. And auto use potions when you're at reduced HP. Uh, of the ones in there, one button combos, auto dodge, and auto potions were all accessibility settings in Forspoken. Yeah. In the accessibility menu. So, like... They've made an accessory Yeah. for auto potions. Yes. Which, in some games, isn't even an accessibility setting... It's just a setting right. to not be fucking inconvenient. I've seen some people, like, getting shitty going, oh, no, no, don't, like, hold these to the standard of accessibility settings. They're not accessibility settings. They're just difficulty things. I'm like, no. These are literal settings that are often found in fucking accessibility menus. They are things that, like, one button combos is the one I keep looking at and going... I do not see a world in which you offer one-button combos for any reason other than to help people yeah. play who cannot play with multiple buttons or struggle to play with multiple buttons. That's not a thing you just get over, like, three hours into a game. Yeah. Really. Like, that's an accessibility setting that you decided to make, like, you can only use it if you give up having boosted magic or whatever other yeah. ring you were going to have on. This is one of those things where literally genuinely would have been better if they hadn't fucking bothered yeah. like you know what yeah. like i think accessibility settings um are a net positive incredibly good do i think they should be in every game yeah i do yeah i'm <clears throat> if you as a developer for whatever reason whether it's your pride as a gamer or whatever don't want to yeah. put them in i have I can't make you, yeah. and that's your creative yeah. right. But I, I, this I'm is worse. Think less of you. Well, yeah, I'm gonna think less of you. <laughs> and if I can't play your game for whatever reason, then you know what? I ain't gonna play your game. Whatever. Yeah. Don't need it that bad. I don't need any single game that bad to make myself force, like, force my way through something that has been made in a way that I. Do not have the ability yeah. to get through it. Whatever. Uh -huh. But this, this is a case of like, it would have been less controversial if they'd have not had accessibility yeah. settings I, at all. I expect, I expect Square Enix games generally, I expect Japanese developed Square Enix games to just not bother. And here they did, but they were like, no, 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 we have to like, you, you just couldn't help it. Yeah. You it just feels couldn't help making it a thing. It feels quite genuinely insulting. Like it's been designed yeah. as an insult. And that's the problem where it, it really is like, you know, I play games. Um, yeah. You know, increasingly uh, games have had uh, accessibility options. But I still play games today that don't have 
many or even any um for the most part and i while i love seeing them i don't get angry or anything if i don't see them um but with this it's like no this is going the extra mile to not put them in this is putting them in in a way that deliberately fucks you if you use them it's putting them in in a way that not only fucks you if you use them, but also says, we don't want you to use them. Yeah. We, we we would like you to not use these features. We made these features, but we'd really, really rather you didn't because of all of our gamer pride. Uh, so, yeah. I Also, just like side note, particularly considering this is a single player game, there's literally no fucking excuse. I forgot to mention it. I played a uh, a beta for a a free-to-play shooter this week called Sector's Edge. It is an online multiplayer competitive shooter that has an accessibility setting that turns off the sound, but visualizes sound as color to make sure that deaf players can tell where sounds are coming from and what colors, like what what sounds they are and how close they are in volume. Like if, if games like that, if like competitive ranked online multiplayer games can work out ways to make themselves accessible to more people, just fucking, if someone's playing a single player RPG, let them turn on every auto command they want. It doesn't, it literally doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. (sighs) And I'm just, I'm still just, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot to unpack with this. Yeah, right. Pride right. the gamer is like up there. The yeah. <clears throat> very nature of it is uh, of of their accessibility accessories is you know baffling and, and insulting. Yeah. But just this idea, the 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 founding idea of this that people are playing mainline Final Fantasy games to stroke their ego about being a good capital G gamer. Like, I, that is so, like, I've been, because of how obsessed I've been with theatre rhythm lately, I've been going back through other Final Fantasy games and things, you know, I've been playing through eight, a bit of 15, bit of 12, last night I started nine for the upteeth time, and I'm thinking about these games I've played for decades now, and the idea that I would have played a single one of them for the same reasons I'd play something like Bloodborne. Right. Is beyond stunning to me. I have never once picked up, like, replayed Final Fantasy IX thinking to myself, I can't wait to have my pride as a gamer tested. No! I want to see the cute little wisp with the pointy hat. I want to see the fucking... I want to see Kuja's hips swaying. Near, near that near that metal cod piece. Mm, yeah. Jonathan. That's what I want to see. I don't want... I'm not playing fucking Final Fantasy fucking 9 to have my fucking yeah. pride tested as a goddamn fucking gamer. Laura, come yeah. on. No, no, no. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. I fucking know. Ridiculous. I was... And you know what? This was just... For all the problems I had with Forspoken, Forspoken really gave me a false sense of hope this year that I was like, is this the year that Square Enix like catches up with a lot of the rest of the games industry and works out accessibility as a thing? Because Forspoken was surprisingly good in that regard, and I don't tend to expect that from Square Enix, but now yeah. I'm like, yeah, I okay, don't expect Square Enix to a- actually reliably know what they're doing there. Uh... So yeah, we got a couple of other stories quickly. Um, we don't have to go into huge depth on this one, but uh, surprising no one, uh, Atomic Heart 
got a bunch of old racist cartoons in it. I say a bunch. I, as far as I'm aware, there's one old racist cartoon in Atomic it. Heart. Yeah, Atomic Heart. Now is this... Now bear in mind, when I talked about No Pagodi last week, the Russian mm. cartoon I used to watch, I cannot vouch yeah. or approve yeah. of any of the content that may or may not have been in the Russian cartoon New Pagodi. Yeah. yeah, so one of those New Pagodi cartoons um, features a real fucking racist um, depiction of a black person. I am, however... Yeah. Completely unsurprised to hear hear this about New Pagodi. <laughs> right. Uh, according to a, a quote given to PC Gamer, um, the Mundfish team said, Thank you for bringing this lack of sensitivity to our attention. We apologise if using the vintage cartoon or music has caused hurt or insult. We will edit the parts in question. Like, not apologising for the racism, being like, oh, but what if, if if the cartoon or the music, like, really being like, oh, we don't know what was offensive, but if something in, in that general area was offensive, we're sorry about that. Sorry you're offended. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll change it, we're sorry. So yeah, yeah, um, I, I did decide to just drop playing Atomic Heart. It I'm, was, yeah. It, it was, um... Yeah, just the whole thing's too sticky, so I'm like, you know what? Move it's, on. Play yeah. uh, play a bit of Kirby. There's uh you know, very little uh racism in uh Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe. I've never personally heard Kirby after a slur. <laughs> no, no. Um not not a direct one. Yeah. You know, that's a that, that's you know, a step above what can be said of some games. Yeah. Uh, we got Beyond Good and Evil 2 news. <laughs> that game, that game <laughs> is, no. it still exists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know how everyone's talked about uh, all the bad things at Ubisoft are over, they're done with now, there's no more bad things at Ubisoft? Yep. Beyond, Good and, Beyond Good and Evil 2 studio is reportedly under investigation for unprecedented burnout and sick leave. Jesus. Yeah, so this is Ubisoft Montpellier. Uh, uh, is being currently investigated uh, by the... I'm trying to find the... Uh, the Montpellier's Inspection de Travail, uh, which uh, is, is a... Uh, uh, a agency that basically looks into uh, worker, making sure workers' rights are maintained, um, has reportedly ha- had a lot of claims of um, an unprecedented, num- pre- unprecedented number of developers experiencing burnout and going on long-term sick leave. Uh, according to the website sources, who were unauthorized to speak about the issue and wish to remain anonymous. Dozens of developers, including many leads, have taken extended leave for stress or sickness over the last year, with some choosing not to return, a situation leading to a visit from the French Labour Inspection Office back in December. Um, That visit resulted in the hiring of a third-party entity, which now has to go around and interview a bunch of Montpellier employees to basically go, look, you're allowed to talk to us, how much are you getting fucked over here? Um, Ubisoft is, you know, hand-waving it away as nothing. Um, 
the health and wellness of our teams is an ongoing priority. <laughs> Given the length of the development cycle with Beyond Good and Evil 2, the Montpellier development team is undergoing well-being assessments through a third party for preventative measures and to evaluate where additional support may be needed. Um, yeah, it's it sounds pretty fucking bad in there. So yeah, Ubisoft hasn't fixed its shit yet. No, what a surprise. It's what almost surprise. like facing absolutely no fucking consequences for being a monster uh, has not encouraged the monster to stop being a monster. Yeah, it's almost like consequences would maybe be required to yeah. get anything to change. I'm starting to like realise that like if people faced consequences, there'd be a lot less people being shit. They might stop doing the bad things. They'd just if, stop. If th- Things were bad as a result of yeah. what they did. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, another one we can just really quickly fly through. EA's laid off 200 QA workers, um, people who worked on Apex Legends. Yeah, I heard um, about those. Yeah, it was during an unscheduled Zoom call. Uh, they were informed they were losing their jobs effective immediately uh, at, during an 8am Zoom call. Um that basically the entire QA team, um, the the entire Apex Legends QA staff is just gone, and EA was asked for comment about these layoffs and didn't directly comment on them because of course it didn't. Their weaselly uh... sort of thing was, oh, as part of our ongoing global strategy, we're expanding <sighs> the distribution of our Apex Legends testing team and ending testing execution that's been contra- uh, concentrated in Baton Rouge, impacting services provided by our third-party provider. Our global team includes the remote play testers uh, across the US and enables us to increase the hours per week we're able to test and optimise the game and reflects a commitment to understand a better server, growing community around the world. All of this bullshit to be like, yeah, no, we fired 200 people with no warning. Yeah. Yeah. That's shitty. That reminds me, I've got some emails to get back to about that shit. Yeah. Yeah, just... I've I've spoken at length uh, on this podcast and on the, the, the show about layoffs and how we're in this sort of sick little cycle where they're just an expected part of business and we're supposed to think it's normal and okay when it's you know normal and okay are not the same thing um <clears throat> apex is such a hugely successful thing thanks to apex legends yeah. and, and all of that as a property um and no amount of success stops these things from happening in fact success often leads to layoffs because as I've explained many times now, they've got to keep up the illusion that they're making more money infinitely every year, forever. So if they've made as much money as they could conceivably make, they've got a cut to keep up the, the grift. And that yeah. cut starts at the bottom. The executives are not going to consider taking a pay cut. They just won't. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's sick. And I think, <clears throat> you know, QA departments in particular get so much shit um to the point where part of me wants to be like we've started to see qa departments unionize is this some sort of response to that but Uh. historically qa departments get treated like this all the time so it it really is just par for the fucking course here is what i will say it does sound from that ea statement 
Like they are letting, uh, they are laying off these QA workers to instead hire remote work from home QA workers. Right. And it's harder to form a union if you are not in an office with the other people you would want to unionize with. If they are yeah. other remote workers that you do not see. Yeah. And that you can only communicate with uh, perhaps through company channels. And I wouldn't put it past anyone. Yeah, like considering how much business um, pushes for in-office work yeah. to the point where, you know, so many jobs that could be done from home are obsessively pushed to be in an office by twats. Um, it is weird that they'd instigate all these layoffs to hire at-home workers because on the surface that sounds like a good thing without the layoffs we want our teams to work from home sounds good then you add that they laid off a whole bunch of people to do it and then it starts looking fucking shifty exactly um but yeah that is what it is um the only other thing this week uh to end on is Rovio has uh, pulled Angry Birds off of uh, Google Play entirely and renamed it and hidden it on iPhone to make it harder to find. Uh, Have you heard about this? No. No, okay. So Angry Birds doesn't exist on Android anymore. Okay. And it only exists on iPhone as Red's First Flight so that it will be harder to find. Okay. In a in a statement, Rovio suggested the reason for this is that the original Angry Birds is simply too popular, and that players are too happy to spend the app's one-off seventy-nine pence price uh, rather than download uh. the brand's many free-to-play sequels and spin-offs, which contain <laughs> further microtransactions. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me let me read you this quickly. Uh, the the quote. We have reviewed the business case of Rovio Classics Angry Birds, and due to the game's impact on our wider games portfolio, we've decided that Rovio Classics Angry Birds will be unlisted from the Google Play Store. Additionally, the game will be renamed to Red's First Light in the App Store. We understand this is sad news for many fans, as well as the team that worked hard to make Rovio Classics Angry Bird a reality. We're extremely grateful to the Angry Birds fans who have shown their love for the brand and this game from the beginning. We hope that those fans can continue to bring that passion to our live Angry Birds slingshot games such as Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds Friends, Angry Birds Journey, where our goal every day is to craft the best possible experience for players. It's They, they want to push people over to the microtransaction ones because 79p yeah. for a game you buy and have don't cut it anymore. I mean, it speaks volumes about how little value the other ones must have, where it's like, yeah, I can just buy and play the first one. I don't need any more Angry Birds than that. Uh, you'd think that would tell them something. Um, well, I mean, it did. It told them to fucking hide it, I guess. That's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. This week has had some fucking bonkers stories. Yeah. It's had some wild ones. I'm glad I could bring these terrible things to your attention. Yeah, I saw uh. you mention Angry Birds in the podcast chat. Uh, and my yeah. eyes glazed over because I saw Angry Birds. Um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, <clears throat> that's incredible. Yeah, no, a game that people like and are purchasing and makes money and pe- people enjoy, 
Yeah, we can't let you have that. We can't let you buy it, though, because, like, we want you to buy the thing you don't like as much that's more expensive. Want the thing full of microtransactions, because it's yeah. not enough to just make money. As, yeah. as something else, you know, I've said for many years. Yeah. Not enough to just make money. Gotta make no, all of gotta, it. Gotta make all the money. All the money. Uh, that's. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Brilliant. So that's. That's that's this week. We did it. Yeah. We're done. Okay. Well, oh. Rovio might be hiding their content, but Laura, <gasps> I know you are singing yours from the rooftops, and if oh. you'd like to perform a verse, I, well, well, if I must, uh, I I can be found at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere: uh, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube. Uh, Patreon's the one that pays the bills. Patreon.com/slash/LauraKBuzz. That's what allows me to keep doing this. Uh, I Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, in theory, uh, 10 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I've got a book, it's called Who Hunts the Whale. If you listen mm. to this show, you should probably read that book. Go read the book. Uh, comrades at that, uh, that Comrade Zimmerman on things? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember Comrade's promo now. Comrade's not here today, but that, that yeah. Comrade Zimmerman on Twitch? Yeah. Uh, the Twitter might just be Conrad Zimmerman, but I know the Twitch is that Conrad Zimmerman. Yeah, the Twitter's con- at Conrad Zimmerman. Yeah. Uh, he's He still uses the Fist Shark Patreon, doesn't he? I believe yeah. so. He says it every so. week. I'm second we guessing. We've got two every- people with ADHD Look. here trying to yeah. like, repeat something we've heard every week. Well, see, that's the thing. Is the problem is is I've done my rehearsed script, and then I'm like, everything that comes after that is just mental blank because I didn't have to say those words. Yeah. Search Comrade Zimmerman. You'll Conrad. find him. It's Comrade. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Steph? Where are you? Red Planet. He's got Red that Planet. podcast, Red Planet, yeah. as well. Check that out. Um, yeah, uh, you can get to my Patreon at patreon.com slash gymquisition. That pays for this show, and it pays, of course, for the Gymquisition show, um, which has been on a real tear lately. Our latest episode called How AI Takes the Artist Out of the Art. Oh, beautiful. Um, thank you. Beautiful Really work. proud of it. Um, Phoenix did amazing new graphics for it, because, you know, obviously we've uh, changed... Um, made some changes to the people who i associate with um so yeah he's done a whole bunch of new graphics and the uh editing was myself for this and the last week's show really really proud of it um so check that out uh my video game reviews can be read at thegymquisition.com make sure you add the the thegymquisition.com uh i also stream um obviously with having to do so much more work on these shows with those changes um i've not been able to stream as much as i want uh but i uh stream at twitch tv slash jim sterling uh, you can check me out there. Uh, my current confirmed wrestling dates are March 18th in Blackpool. Um, that is PCW. I'll be at their uh, Women's Road to Glory tournament. Huge, huge um, uh, milestone for me to be in this women's tournament. Uh, if you can get to Blackpool on the 18th of March, do please. It is going to be a momentous night for for Commander Sterling. Um, March 25th will also be huge. That's in Leeds, and that is uh, True Grit Wrestling. Uh, it's going to be Commander Sterling versus Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. Uh, we are a great tag team, myself and Priscilla. We are even better as opponents. So that 
is just going to be a great match. Uh, I have many other bookings yet to be announced, including two massive ones in May and August. Uh, they are just going to be immense, so I'm excited about them. But until then, thank you all so much for everything, uh, for all of your support, especially lately. Um, I really do. I've had a lot of really, like, nice well wishes and stuff about all mm. of the, the recent stresses and, and bullshits that's going on uh thank you all so much for that and of course for the patreon support couldn't do it without that um but yeah thank you we will see you next week and conrad should be here next week and all settled in uh so we'll see you then bye bye <laughs>